Um, we have been in a series uh, going through the book of James, and we found that the book of James is all about faith, and more specifically, the Christian life lived in faith. And so, we are in chapter 4 today, um, and the title of the message is Fight in Faith, um, but the subtitle I added this week is Throw Your Dukes Up. Uh, <laughs> Because we're going to be talking about fighting, the f- type of fighting we shouldn't be doing and the type of fighting we should be doing. And so um, we'll go ahead and take a look here. I would like us to first just go ahead and read the entirety of this passage. We're going to be reading uh, James chapter 4, verses 1 through 12 in the ESV. If you're using your phone, you can go to the ESV to follow along, or you can use the Bibles um, beside you. Now, let's start in verse 1. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you not suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and He will exalt you. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we have read this text with incredibly um, challenging points, Lord, I pray that our hearts would be open to your Holy Spirit's teaching. Open to your scriptures, Lord. God, that we would cast all of our anxieties, our stress, our opinions, um, the thoughts that are going through our mind from last week or this coming week that we're looking forward to, Lord. I just pray we'd cast all these things aside and for this time here, just be open and receptive to your Holy Spirit and to the words that you have given us through the book of James. God, help me as I preach this, to preach this with humility and love and that your Holy Spirit would lead this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. How many of you have ever been in a fight? I don't mean like an argument. I don't mean like a, a little, uh, you know, cussing match. I mean like a fist fight. A full-on fist fight. A few of us? Okay. Um, I haven't been in so many fist fights as I have been in some scuffles. Uh, I've never, like, I've never, like, I've had my, like, arrogant high school moments, you know, not all the way back to maybe, like, sixth grade where... You know, I was kind of arrogant, and I always picked a fight with a guy a little bit bigger than me, and it was pretty much he would shove me or punch me, and then it was over, uh, because everybody would grab us, and like, whoa, whoa, you know, so I never really got a chance to just like full out, 
uh, beat somebody up, other than like wrestling my brother. But you know, we had a rule: we could fight all we want, but we never punch each other in the face. Okay, that was my brother and I's rule growing up. But you know, so I've never really been in a true fight. But I can remember this one time: I was living in Australia when I was. Um, my parents were missionaries. We were living in Australia, and I went through the entirety of sixth grade there, which is the end of really is what is the end of middle school there. Middle school ends at sixth grade, and you go to high school in seventh grade. Their school system is very different from ours. And I remember uh, sixth grade, I was really cool. Like, I was elected, like, the, like they had to, basically, you had a president, you had a uh, tr- secretary of treasure or whatever, and a couple other positions that the school had for students. And it was my first day at school in sixth grade. I, I, I didn't know anyone there, and I got elected as the secretary of treasure um, just because they were like, he's American. Let's vote him. <laughs> like, I'm not joking. So, like, I was fairly popular in the sixth grade class. Like, I remember, like, I had a great time, really good friends. But then what happens is you have a bunch of the schools merging together in middle school for this high school. And so our little group was hanging out, and, like, it's the first day of school in seventh grade, and we're all thinking we're tough and cool and all this stuff, and we're all hanging out. And then a bunch of these, like, seventh grade guys from this other school that were now part of our school as well um, in this high school came out, and they're like, just kind of talking smack, you know, as much smack as, like, a seventh grader thinks he can talk, and, you know, going around, and all of a sudden, one of the kids kind of pushes me, and so I push him back, and this other kid, a lot bigger than me, just hits me in the side of the face. First day of school, I fall on the floor, he hits me around the temple, I had a headache all day from it, uh, hits me down, and, like, I don't know why he hit me. Like, the other kid pushed me, I pushed him, and then this kid just smacks me in the face. And so, um... Maybe you've been in some fights, right? Maybe you're in some fights right now. And I tell that story because fighting is real. Like, whether you've been in a fist fight or you um, got in an argument on the way here with your wife or this week you got into an argument with a coworker, or maybe your kid was disrespecting you or something and, and you had a little argument with them, it doesn't matter. Um, we all have fighting going on in our lives, don't, don't we? Right? And so James here addresses some of the reasons why we fight. And really what his challenge to us is to switch what we're fighting. Right? The challenge here isn't to not fight. It's to switch what we're fighting. There's something in us that wants to fight. And that can be used for good in a sense. There's a, there's a part of like our ability to fight, to stand for something, to move, to, to work against something that is in us that can be used for good. But oftentimes what we find ourselves doing is fighting the wrong things instead of the things that God would have us fight. And so this text reveals a lot of that to us, and we'll go through it here verse by verse and just kind of um, take a closer look at these texts and see what it has to say about fighting. He says in verse 1, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? And then he answers his own question. Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. So he's like, hey, hey, what's going on with the fighting, church? What's going on with the fighting? Why are we fighting? He's speaking to Christians here. He's writing to the churches that are dispersed, the dispersion. And he says, what's causing fights among you? And he answers his own question. That our passions are at war inside of us. We have, we have that wrestling between the spirit and our flesh that's, that's kind of waging war. And when our flesh a lot of times is winning, and then we're letting our flesh tell us what we should do and what we should work for. And so we start working in sin. And he says, um, 
kind of the most extreme here, but he says, you desire and you don't have, so you murder. It's like, oh, no, none of us are murdering in this church, hopefully. Uh, right? I don't know. <laughs> but, you know, hypothetically, like, speaking, like, I hope none of us are murdering anybody. So it's like in a very extreme thing here. Hey, you don't have what you want, so you murder. And it may seem extreme, but, you know, Jesus says that when we have hatred or anger towards a brother in our hearts, it's like we're murdering them. It's like, it's like we're stabbing them back in a spiritual or an emotional sense. Um, but then he says more of a more realistic um, thing that may be going on. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. So, similar to last week when we were learning about wisdom, he said this, like, humanly, this worldly wisdom is rooted in bitter envy or selfish ambition, right? And that envy and that selfish ambition that we think um, is good, a lot of times we justify it. I'm trying to make a way for myself. I'm trying to rise up. I'm trying to make a name for myself. This bitter envy, this selfish ambition that we may call wisdom, God says is foolishness. But he says, you know, also that's the same heart, the same root that is causing the fighting and the quarreling in the church. It's the bitter envy and the selfish ambition that is causing fights among us and we want what we want and so we're going to do whatever we can to get what we want we're going to fight we're going to quarrel to get our way and the wisdom of god we learned last week is the opposite of that the wisdom of god has a personality we say and that personality is humility the wisdom of God is always accompanied by the humility of man. You cannot walk in the wisdom of God without humility. And so what's causing fights and quarreling amongst the church here is their own selfishness. Their, their envy. Their, I need to get what I want. And you can do this in the name of like spirituality, can't we? Like you can, you can try to get into leadership in a church just simply for your own, like, pride. For your own, you want to be seen on stage. And, like, I'm not confessing here. Oh, right? <laughs> you know, there's oftentimes where we say things about others because we think it might make us look better somehow. We do things because we think it will make us look good. But the wisdom of God is always accompanied by humility. And he says that there's this war, there's this battle going on inside of us. Continually, there's a, a war in our soul. Do you ever feel that way? Do you ever feel the battle inside? Maybe it's with a temptation that you've struggled with for a long time. Maybe it's with a fellow believer and you just want to gossip about them. You don't like them. You just want to say it like your, your tongue is almost itching and it's not going to get scratched unless you can just talk bad about that person. There's so many different things that you might feel that battle. You're like, I shouldn't say it, but I'm going to say it. <laughs> the, the struggle is real. You know, Paul in Romans 7, I, I often refer to this, but in Romans 7, he talks about that battle within himself. He's like, sometimes I do the things I don't want to do, and I don't do the things I want to do. I know I shouldn't do that thing, but I do it. I know that like, my spirit does not want to participate in that sin, but it does. Like My, my flesh does. And so there's a battle. There is this war. In Galatians 5, 16, it says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and do not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. 
For these things are opposed to each other to prevent you from doing what you would. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. We feel that battle between the Spirit of God that's living in us. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. But then we also feel that old Stephen, that dead body that I'm carrying around until I am glorified in heaven with Christ. You know, that, that old dead body, that old Stephen, that old person that I have to carry around. And I've got the Spirit of God I'm trying to live for, right? And then sometimes you just feel this old dead body, this old me, that's kind of saying, do this. No, you should sin here. You should talk bad about that person. You should fight. You should try to make yourself look good. He says that it's at war within us. But he says the more that we are giving ourselves to the Spirit and being led by the Spirit, the less we're gratifying ourselves by the by the flesh. We're in the flesh. It's, it's somewhat of a replacement, right? It's not like, I just can't sin. Well, you're not really capable of that. You're just naturally going to go to sin because of the curse of sin, because of the body of death that you're in. You're naturally going to go to sin. What happens in, when the Spirit lives in us and we're being led by the Spirit, what happens is instead of doing the sinful things, we move and we do... T- to good things, the good works that the Lord has planned for us. A lot of times it's not just about abstaining from sin, but it's about going and doing the good things that God has prepared for you to do. And the more we're pushing into the Spirit, the more we're speaking life, the less we'll speak death. The more we're building each other up and complimenting each other, the less we'll gossip. The more we push into the Spirit, lean into the Spirit, the less we're going to gratify our flesh. Now, let's continue here. He goes on, and it seems a little bit of a different topic, but it really is still getting at our heart here. That's what this text is getting at, is our heart. He switches to really some theology on prayer that I don't like. (laughs) You may not like either, if we're being honest. He says, you do not have because you do not ask, right? Jesus says, you have not because you ask not. It's like, okay, I like that. I'm going to start asking for everything I want, right? Amen, everybody? All right, sermon's over. We can go home. Let's just go ask for whatever we want. But no, wait, we have to be honest with ourselves and with the Word of God and read this next part. You asking, you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Dang it. Anybody with me there? Dang it. That's why I'm not getting what I want? Because I'll spend it wrongly? Because I'm selfish? Because my heart's still wrong? And if I get that thing, God knows that that thing's actually just going to pull me away from Him? That's why He's saying no? Dang it. Dang my heart. You know, dang my selfish ambition and my bitter envy, it's creeping its way into my prayer life. It does though, doesn't it? Verse 4, you adulterous people, oh man, that's an insult, isn't it? (laughs) You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Pretty intense, right? Oftentimes, God would call the Israelites, um, for lack of a better term, because it's the term the Bible used, they would, he would call them whores. Okay? It's a very intense word, but it's what they were doing. When we go to sin, we go back to our old ways. We are like adulterous people. We are like a cheating spouse going back to something else that we had before, instead of staying with the one who loves us. 
And the Bible oftentimes says that we are adulterous people when we go back to sin. James here accuses the churches of the dispersion, and he says, you adulterous people. This quarreling, this fighting, this selfish ambition, this envy, this is a form of adultery in God's eyes. And he says, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. God is opposed to sin. God hates sin. God cannot be near sin. His presence, His active working presence, pulls away from sin. Obviously, God is everywhere at all times, but His active working presence pulls away from sin. God hates sin, and as we are growing and being sanctified in our lives, we must learn to hate sin. And then when you learn to hate it, it's a lot easier to fight it. Right? When you realize that that thing is an enemy of God, and when I participate in it, draws me away from the Lord, even makes me an enemy with God, don't you start to hate that thing? You should. We should. In Romans 5.10 it says, For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of His Son, while we were still His enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of His Son. That's the good news of the Gospel. The good news of the Gospel is that your sin made you an enemy with God, deserving of the judgment and the wrath of God. But God sent His only Son to die on a cross and raise from the dead to, to really offer you the grace and forgiveness that you're not deserving of. And His restored the friendship that we can have with God. He's bridged the gap. He's made a way for us to have closeness with God, to have relationship with God. And when we go back to sin, it's like we're going back to that old, that old life, the, the way of death, the way of sin, and making ourselves enemies of God. But the good news is that He is willing to forgive. He's always willing to forgive. And ultimately, if you believe in Jesus Christ, He's forgiving you of all your sins. There's nothing you have done, are doing, or will do that will separate you from the love of God, but it will hurt your relationship here and now. It does. It does not change necessarily your eternal destination, your eternal justification, but right now when you're participating in sin, God says, I have to draw away. I'm not going to be right there with you you're not going to feel so close to me when you're in that sin. I have to pull away from it. And so it hurts our relationship. And in a sense, our sin causes us to really fight God or fight our relationship with God. Our sin also causes us to fight each other. All of the fights that go on in a church or a family or with your friends, with your spouse, happen because of sin, probably on both parts, and definitely on at least one part. Right? Every fight, every quarrel, it all is rooted in sin somewhere. Probably on both sides. Sometimes just on one, but most of the time probably on both sides. There's probably some sin going on on either side that's causing the fight. Some selfishness, some pride, some unwillingness to say sorry. Within the church, there's always some sin that causes our fights. And so we must be repenting of that sin. Because that sin causes us to fight each other, and it causes us to fight God, at least in a relationship sense. 
verse 5. Or do you not suppose it is to no purpose that Scripture says He yearns jealously over the Spirit that He has made to dwell in us? Right? He's like, you're, you're fighting God. You're becoming an enemy of God every time you go and participate in these sins. But he's like, hey, just know that he, he loves you. Like so much so he's jealous for you. That's why he's upset. That's why he, he, he doesn't like the sin is because it draws you away from him. And he wants you because he loves you. God's not a controlling God who just wants you to play his little game so he can control. He, he wants what's best for you. And he's the author of life, Scripture says. So that means he knows how life should be lived. How life will be best enjoyed. And he says, sin hurts your life. It hurts our relationship. So please don't do it. I I, I jealously long for you and love you. And I want you to be close to me. So don't sin. Pull away from sin. Resist the devil. We'll find out. And then verse 6, it says, he gives more grace. Oh, I love that part. He gives more grace. Like, every time you stumble, every time you feel distant from God, you haven't received all the grace that is there for you. He gives more. You feel far from God? He has more grace for you. You're struggling? He has more grace for you. You've got a sin that you just can't beat? He's got more grace for you. Isn't that awesome? More grace. But He gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Okay. He tells us how we can receive more grace from God. He says, God doesn't give grace to the proud. He resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. He gives grace to the humble, and then he says, submit yourselves to God, then. In this humility, and you will receive more grace... And then it says, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. It's really important, the order here. It doesn't say, hey, so you're sinning? Okay, go fix that sin, and then you can draw near to the Lord. It doesn't say, hey, go figure your stuff out, and then God will forgive you. It doesn't say, go beat the devil, and then you can be near to him. It doesn't say that. It says, to be humble, and to submit yourself to God, and when you do that, you get more grace... And then you resist the devil, and the devil flees from you. The devil is really powerful against you. Right? I mean, Satan and his demons are powerful. They are much more powerful than humanity, but they're nowhere as close to as powerful as God and his spirit that dwells in us. So when we submit humbly to God, Satan is actually scared of us. The demons are scared of us. The more you're in the spirit, the more Satan is not going to mess with you because he's actually scared of you. And he will, he will, as you're resisting him, he will actually end up fleeing from you. So when you throw your dukes up, and those dukes are the dukes of grace, Satan flees. Because he goes, I can't fight grace. I can't fight the spirit. I can fight Stephen all day and destroy him. But I don't stand a chance against the Spirit of God. So when we humbly say, I will submit to the Spirit, I will submit to God, we throw our dukes up and Satan runs. In 2 Corinthians, one of my favorite verses. Sorry, 2 Corinthians 12.9 says, But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. 
For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so the power of Christ will rest upon me. That verse is so beautiful. His grace is sufficient for me. It's enough. And His power is made perfect in our weaknesses. And so if we just say, I'm weak, and we submit to ourselves and we're humble and say, Lord, I can't do it. I've tried, but I can't. And we submit to Him. We receive His grace and humility. And His grace is sufficient for us. And every time we're lacking, we just ask for more grace and go to Him even more humble. And we receive more from Him. Verse 8 of James chapter 4. Draw near to God and He will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and He will exalt you. There's a lot right here. The first thing is says, draw near to God and He will draw near to you. So if you're in sin, you're in a place of struggling, what are you supposed to do? Just draw near to the loving Father in the name of the Son. That's it. Say, Lord, I'm here. In the name of Jesus, give me more of your grace. Let me rely more and more on your Holy Spirit. And then it says, cleanse your hands. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. What happens is we continually draw near to Him and draw near to Him and draw near to Him based upon His love and not our goodness, but His goodness, His love, His mercy, His grace, His power, His strength, His glory. We draw near to Him, draw near to Him, draw near to Him. What happens is in that we are cleansing ourselves. We're washing our hands. We're getting rid of that double-mindedness that's in our hearts and our mind. And then instead, what's happening is our Sin is actually causing us to mourn and weep. And we're not laughing about sin anymore, but we're actually weeping over sin. We're actually mourning over our sin. There is an element of devastation when you draw near to God. There's an element of, of, of this real brokenness when you draw near to God. Because you do realize just how unworthy you are. Just how broken you are. The closer you are to Him, the more humble you get. And you're like, I don't have anything. I, don't, I have nothing to offer Him. I'm just a sinner. I'm, I'm broken. And that should break us. And then we mourn over that sin that we've maybe been laughing about and enjoying. Now we're like, what is going on? Why do I do these things? There is an element of this brokenness over our sin. But then we're also receiving that love. I mean, the more that we understand the devastation of our sin, the more we really can understand the power of His love. Right? When we really know, Lord, I'm so broken, so unworthy, but you still loved me. I believe that Jesus would have came and died if it was for only one person. Think about that. That while we were still sinners, while we were still enemies with God... He came and He died for us. Not based upon our works, not based upon how good we are, not based upon our merit. No, it's always about Him and His love for us. And that should break us down and just say, I have nothing and just receive His love, His pure 
love and His pure forgiveness and grace. And then He says, humble yourselves, in verse 10, before the Lord and He will exalt you. See, a lot of this fighting, a lot of this quarreling is about their own exaltation. I want to build myself up. I want to look right. I want to sound correct in this argument. I want to come out of this looking good, not them. A lot of our fighting and our quarreling is about our own selfishness. And he says, humble yourself before the Lord and let him exalt you. Stop trying to exalt yourself. Just humble yourself before the Lord. And God does the exalting as we do the um, bowing before Him and the humbling of our own hearts. In Ephesians 4, verse 30, it says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, among Oh, sorry, along with all malice. This fighting that goes on in our relationships, this, this fighting that can go on in churches, this fighting that can go on with coworkers or spouses, close friends, roommates, um, all these things, they're rooted in our own selfishness. And we need to just get rid of that bitterness, that wrath, that anger, the clamor, the slander, and the malice. And instead... Live in the Spirit instead of grieving the Holy Spirit. Right? All this fighting that can go on, it grieves the Holy Spirit. Like the Holy Spirit's crying. That's the idea here. There's no other way to understand grief than tears. A deep sadness. Our fighting and our selfishness grieves the Holy Spirit. He's so sad. He's so sad. He's grieving. He's mourning. He's, he's crying about it. The Holy Spirit experiences emotions. It's not just some force in the world. The Holy Spirit is a person. He's a part of the Trinity. And He, he feels emotions when we're sinning. Because He wants what's best for us. And He knows what's best for us. Because He's God. Verse 11. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But, you, but who are you to judge your neighbor? A lot of our judgments against people happen when we're putting ourselves in the place of God. A lot of our judgments of people are when we put ourselves in the place of God in their life, right? I'm going to determine something about you and make a judgment about who you are. The problem with that is that if they're a believer, God has already made a judgment. And the judgment is pure. The judgment is justified. So you cannot ascribe any other identity to them, even if you want to. They are now a child of God, cleansed by God. They're being sanctified by God. One day they'll be glorified by God, but they are a child of God now. They, they carry the identity of Christ, and we're not to say anything else of them. Now, can we look at a fellow believer and point things out for the general uplifting of that person or the building up of the church? Yes, because that's what James is doing here. 
right? Throughout this whole book, he's telling them where they're wrong and what they can do to set it straight. So we're allowed to speak to one another and say, hey man, like, let me help you out. But you're building them up in the identity they already have in Christ. You're not to make any other judgment about them. If the law, through the law, and through the judge, who is Christ, who fulfilled the law, and now is the one on the judgment seat making this judgment, and he says that they're pure and that they're justified, you don't have the right to make any other judgment. So a lot of times it's like, well, this person is running away from the Lord, or this person is just not living um, a good life or not, and then it's like, well, are they saved? Did they, were, were they saved and they lost their salvation? Are they saved and they're just in a prodigal son state? Or maybe they were never saved, and we get into these little talks, and it's like, nope, not the judge. You have no idea. That's between them and God, and God makes the judgment. Stop wondering about it. Stop worrying about it. Just love them. If they profess, help them through encouragement and exhortment to live in the identity that they claim. Right? Hey, I am a Christian, okay? Let me just help you, and you can help me live in that identity. I'm not going to make judgments about you. I'm not going to say, well, it doesn't seem like you're a Christian. Okay? That's you putting yourself in the place of God. They confess that He's Lord, so believe that they're a Christian, the identity that God's given them, and just help them live in it. So, in summary, James says that there's a lot of fighting going on, and that fighting is rooted in bitter envy, this selfish ambition, and in really this pride of wanting to get our own ways. To fix that, we humble ourselves before God, draw near to Him, and in that we have the power to resist the devil and have peace with one another. Instead of judging one another. Now, the idea here for me is that we switch what we're fighting. Right? Instead of starting fights with guys at school, <laughs> instead of fighting with your spouse fighting with your coworkers, fighting with your roommates, fighting with God every time you go to sin, hurting that relationship, pulling yourself away from Him because of sin. Instead of all these things, we switch what we're fighting and we receive the grace of God and we fight our own personal sins. And we fight against Satan. And we resist the devil. And when we do it in the grace of God, he doesn't have a chance. But when we give in to the flesh and live in the flesh, He has all the power that we give Him. When we live in the flesh, we're giving ourselves over to those temptations. We're giving ourselves over to the enemy. But when we resist it by the power of the Holy Spirit in the grace of God, sin doesn't stand a chance when we're in the Spirit. So the answer to our sin is draw near to God. A lot of times in our sin, the temptation is to pull away from God. Isn't it? You feel unworthy. You feel like, I can't pray right now. I, I can't go to Him right now. I feel too guilty. And so we pull away from God. When you pull away from God because of your guilt, you're making yourself weaker. And you're opening yourself up to more sin. Now, should you feel bad about your sin? Yes, you should feel a certain amount of conviction from God. But the difference between the guilt that comes from Satan and the conviction that comes from the Holy Spirit is that guilt um, renders you useless. 
and conviction gives you the steps to move forward. Right? You should, like, there is, like, you should mourn over your sin. Your sin should cause you to grieve. You shouldn't be laughing when you're living in sin. You should be mourning about it. You should feel this, this devastation. and the, Maybe you should feel unworthy. But then you know that God loves you. And you know that you can draw near to Him because there is no sin more powerful than the cross. And you draw near to Him. That's when it's conviction. But when you go, I just can't do anything. I'm just going to pull away from God. I'm going to do this. That won't work. It just helps you live in sin. The more we draw near to God, the more we do it in humility, the more grace we can receive, and the more power we have. And so it's essential for us to switch what we're fighting. To switch what we're fighting. When it comes to the church, however, um, I just want to close with this verse in Ephesians. It says, Ephesians in chapter 4, verse 32, it says, Be kind to one another. Tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. If there's somebody that you're annoyed by, be kind to them, tender-hearted towards them, and forgive them. Because God has every right to be annoyed with you. <laughs> God has every right to not like you. But He does anyways. He loves you a whole lot. Let's pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, um, Lord, help us be kind to one another. Help us love one another. Help us love each other as, in the way that you love us. Lord, teach us to do that. Give us the grace to do that. God, when it comes to our own personal sin... Lord, I just pray that you would point out the areas that we're being envious and selfish and having a selfish ambition, Lord. And that instead of continuing in the selfish ambition and the bitter envy and the, and the uh, wanting to exalt ourselves, Lord, that we would just humbly receive the wisdom of God so that we can love each other. That we humbly receive your Holy Spirit so that we have strength to fight against our temptations and resist the devil. Lord, you are, you are so amazing to love us, to die on the cross for us, to offer us new life and to be with, there, be with us there every day when we, when we need you. When we're, when we're tempted to go one way or another, you're always there as our helper. In every moment, in every fight, you're there as our helper, Lord. So in Jesus' name, we, we just ask that you would just give us more grace. That we would humbly just ask for more grace, knowing that your grace is sufficient. Lord, I pray during these songs that we just ask, Lord, more grace. More grace. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.